You're listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. Hello and welcome to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. I'm your host, Travis Condon. This is part of our election series. And today we are joined by State Senator Diana DiZoglio. She's running as a Democratic candidate for auditor in the state primary on September 6th. The general election will follow in November. Prior to her election to the state Senate in 2018, she spent three terms as state rep for the 14th Essex District. She also spent time in the legislature as an aide, plus the chief of staff for the Professional Firefighters of Massachusetts. And she's also worked for a number of nonprofits and community organizations throughout her career. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me, Travis. It's great to be with you all today. Thank you for the invitation. Well, we appreciate your time. Now, the first thing I want to ask... Why do you want to run for auditor now? You were elected to the Senate in 2018. You spent time in both chambers of Beacon Hill. Why is now the time that you want to jump to the role of auditor? Look, uh, and I had served in the House of Representatives since 2013 and then moved over to the Senate in 2018. This is my 10th year in the legislature advocating on behalf of working families in our communities. And it's my opinion that, you know, folks need representation up on Beacon Hill now more than ever. We just came out of... Uh, you know, an excruciatingly painful time in our history with the shutdown. Uh, folks are still recovering from that. And we need to make sure that their tax dollars that are hard earned are protected and that there's appropriate levels of oversight. And I can tell you uh, from my time serving in the legislature, especially during the last year and a half or so, uh, that there is not the oversight that is needed to make sure that those tax dollars are being prevented or, or protected. And what we've been seeing is a lot of waste, fraud, abuse, so on and so forth. Uh, look, I, I have a story to share with you. I'd love to tell you about a little bit about my, my, my personal background and to, you know, why I'm running. But uh, look, I'm running because it's your money. And from my experience in the legislature, I can tell you that there's not nearly enough oversight to make sure that those dollars are being protected and then they're not being wasted. And can you tell us a little bit more about your experience, about your background and how this can be applied to ensuring that that accountability and that transparency and that responsibility that you mentioned is there? Sure. And look, I'm going to share my, 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 my personal journey and, and, and you know, what, what this is all about, right? I think it's important mm -hmm. that we get to know each other personally and not just talk about, you know, uh, necessarily the politics of everything. Look, I was born to a 17-year-old single mother in the city of Methuen, in the Merrimack Valley. We moved around quite a bit during my childhood, depending on where my mother, who was a young nurse's aide at the time, could find work. I went through the public school system. I went off to Middlesex Community College, which was an associate's degree that uh, I could afford thanks to our legislature's investments and families like mine. From there, I ended up earning a seat at Wellesley College. The only reason why I was able to actually afford Wellesley, however, was because of a full financial scholarship that I had received. And the reason why I think it's so important to highlight that is because it really was due to those financial investments made into my future success, regardless of my bank balance, family background, or zip code, that I was able to actually see some future success. And I took that very seriously, and I really wanted to pay it forward at whatever way I could. And since I couldn't do so financially back then, I decided to get into community service. I worked at various nonprofits. Uh, as you had mentioned, I worked at youth centers and uh, really worked to give back to my community in that way. And I also simultaneously uh, was working in the private sector in the hospitality industry, waiting tables uh, and owned and operated a very small cleaning company at the time, a micro business, if you will, uh, cleaning homes and office spaces throughout the Merrimack Valley. As many folks know, you might love what you do uh, for work, but it doesn't always pay the bills. So sometimes you have to juggle uh, these opportunities and 
and make ends meet. And it was during that time that I got offered a job working at the state house. I was a younger woman in my 20s at the time. This was well over 10, 11 years ago. And I had gotten offered a job working at the state house from a state representative and, you know, really had no idea what a state representative did at that time. Right. I had uh, seen the state house and, and, and knew that, you know, uh, there was state government going on and, and who the, gov the governor was and all that. I didn't really know about the inner workings of Beacon Hill. But let me tell you, when I got elected, sorry, not elected, when I uh, went to go work at the state house, it was like drinking water from a fire hose. I learned about all of the great things that our state government can do to support families, working families across our communities. I learned about making investments in public education and public higher education. Uh, I learned about making sure to fight for access to health care. I learned about fighting against the you know, uh, negative impacts of climate change, promoting economic development so we can create jobs for people in our communities. I could go on and on and on about all the great things that I found out that our state government can do to help folks in our community. But I also uh, learned about the flip side of how our state government can operate when left unchecked and when left without appropriate oversight. Again, I allude to, you know, how I was a younger woman in my 20s back then and look, uh, working up on Beacon Hill, I was actually sexually harassed working in that building at that time in our own House of Representatives. And the way that it was thought at that time by the powerful politicians on Beacon Hill to deal with that harassment was to dismiss me from my position so that the harassment would stop and then require that I sign a taxpayer funded non-disclosure agreement just to collect a basing severance package upon my departure. Uh, not for some big settlement or anything like that, not like it would make it any better, but just to collect my basic severance package. And that was your, those were your tax dollars that were being spent to silence somebody like me about anything that I'd seen, witnessed, or experienced behind those closed doors in what's supposed to be the people's house regarding the abuse that I saw amongst the most powerful amongst us in, in, in politics. But look, I didn't let them get rid of me or keep me quiet. And I didn't leave state government like they told me to do. I instead decided to run for state representative myself. And a little over a year later, made my way back into that same chamber as the youngest woman serving in the House of Representatives at that time. And you heard my story, Travis, right? When I got elected, I mean, it was an incredibly humbling experience. I never thought that I was going to be in a position like that. I never planned on running for elected office. I was, you know, uh, running a small business previously and 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 working uh, in our community. But there I was elected to represent my community and be their voice. And it was an incredibly humbling responsibility that I took seriously. And I knew it was incumbent upon me to use what I'd seen and witnessed behind those closed doors on Beacon Hill to fight like hell for other families in our communities who like my family was, and maybe for completely different reasons, right? But for who like my family was, have either been dismissed or ignored or disenfranchised by a system in our state government that's just not working for all families in Massachusetts the way that it could and the way that it should. And I took on that battle regarding those taxpayer-funded non-disclosure agreements. That's a fight that I took with me to the state Senate I'm so proud to say we passed a complete ban on the abuse of those tax dollars. But we have, unfortunately, some in state government who continue to abuse our tax dollars in the use of these agreements and in many other ways regarding transparency and accountability around how your tax dollars are spent. I think about during the shutdown alone, 
when we saw precious vaccines diverted to mass vaccination sites and to friends of the administration, the private sector with no bid, no RFP contracts in the millions and millions of tax dollars. We talk about those who are already well-connected continuing to be well-connected, right? And I think about how many dollars in the millions was spent on those no-bid contracts with no RFPs uh, instead of being reinvested into our communities where families could get equitable access. And when that happened, as a senator, I stood up and I demanded transparency and accountability and called for full audit and an investigation into those tax dollars that were spent in no-bid contracts. When the Holyoke Soldiers Home tragedy occurred and we lost 77 veterans, it was found out through a Boston Globe Spotlight Team investigation that falsehoods were told at the oversight hearing that we held in the state Senate. When we found that out, I stood up as a senator and I demanded that the administration come back before us under oath and that we utilize our full subpoena authority to get to the bottom of what really happened. Of course, for transparency, but also, Travis, because the families of those who lost loved ones, and more so, I should say, they deserve the truth and they deserve justice. When McKinsey Consulting continued to be contracted with, despite the fact that they were found to have been complicit in helping Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family cover up their contributions to the opioid crisis by willingly lying to the general public about the addictive properties of their product, OxyContin, our administration continued to contract with them, even though our attorney general was suing them alongside of AGs from across the nation. When that happened, I stood up as a senator and I demanded that we stop contracting with a company that's proven to abuse the public's trust time and time again. As state senator, I've been standing up, I've been speaking out, I've been calling for audits, I've been demanding investigations. But as your next state auditor, I won't need to keep calling for audits and demanding investigations. I will audit and I will investigate these matters and much more on your behalf because we all know that sunlight is the best disinfectant and for as forward thinking as we claim to be in state government here in the Massachusetts, we continue to be ranked as one of the least, actually by most go good government agencies, we're ranked as the least, least transparent state government in the mm -hmm. entire nation. And that is not something that should be upheld. We need to make changes. And my commitment is that as state auditor, I will work hard to shine a light in the dark areas of our state government to expose where your tax dollars are not being used efficiently, where there's waste, fraud, and abuse, where we can do better by those working families who need to make sure that they have a champion protecting their tax dollars. And you mentioned the word transparency numerous times when recounting your own experience and these other events in the state. Would you say that transparency, if you're elected, is the number one duty of that office? The number one duty of that office is to be the chief accountability officer. A lot of people think of the word auditor uh, as simply, you know, being a, a bean counter, right? And I'm saying that because that's what folks have told me. And they've said, why, Senator, would you ever leave your position of being an advocate in the Senate to go and be an auditor? And I've explained, you know, that, look, uh, even though the title is limited to the word auditor, uh, that that is not actually all encompassing about the roles and responsibilities of that position. Certainly there are auditors that work in the office there are finance folks, there are attorneys, there are public policy folks and all of that. 
Uh, but the role of the auditor, which is elected, it's an elected role, uh, is to hold those in power on Beacon Hill accountable. It's probably one of the reasons why you don't hear about it as often, right? You hear about, you know, who's running for governor and maybe lieutenant governor or the AG's office and, you know, positions that are a little bit more salient and that we know a little bit more about. The auditor's role is to make sure that those in power in roles like that and across our state government and in our state agencies and in our legislature are held accountable to you, the taxpayer. We are an independent entity and uh, it's a constitutional office, which means you don't answer to, you know, uh, you're not under the purview of the governor or under the purview of the speaker or the Senate president or anybody else. You answer directly to the people. And it's your responsibility to go through the processes and the procedures in our state government that aren't functioning correctly alongside of auditing the finances. How does the role of auditor, how can the role of auditor be used to improve the business climate here in North Central Massachusetts? For sure, for sure. Look, I I, I come from the Merrimack Valley in my district in the Senate borders New Hampshire. We have a unique set of challenges that have really educated me about how important it is to make sure that we are not being overly burdensome to our mom and pop shops, to our small businesses that are creating job opportunities for folks in our communities. Uh, and a lot of times, look, I have the conversation with folks who say, it's it's a struggle to stay here. Uh, and you know, I've been looking at jumping across the border to do X, Y, and Z uh, because I can't get access to the things I need or because you know, uh, it's it's really it's getting too hard to do business, right? Those are those are real conversations that that I've had in my district. Um, and being chair of the small business committee in the Senate, uh, a couple of years ago, I was named the small business chair for a while. And during that time, I learned a lot about how government can help our small businesses. And I fought for grant opportunities during. Uh, you know, the um, ARPA debates and made sure that during our economic development bills that we were fighting for our small and local restaurants, making sure that the restrictions were not overly burdensome, but also simultaneously protected public health. Right. But I think when it comes to the, the auditor's role, look, I'll give an example right now, because a lot of people say, well, you can audit state government, but how does how does that help my my private business? Right. The Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. I'm sure every business uh, in your chamber uh, knows about the unemployment insurance trust fund and uh, that they're paying into the system and that they want to ensure that their rates are not going up because of state government's shortcomings, right? Where they have done right by the state and by their employers, by their employees. Well, during the last several months, it was exposed. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to give a brief history. It was exposed that uh, the administration uh, actually wasn't releasing the data about how much money was in the unemployment insurance trust fund. Now, this was after a period in which we had uh, rates go up uh, for small businesses and people paying for those rate increases, even those who had not done any layoffs during that time and remained open, you know, their rates were still going up and they had been calling my office in the Senate to express their discontent, number one, but to also express that they couldn't afford these things, uh, you know, just coming into recovering. Well, we ended up calling from the state Senate for transparency from the administration. It took about seven months, I believe, to actually get access to what was supposed to be a monthly report. And I, you know, led on those efforts in the state Senate. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, it took quite a while to get access to that information. And then when we finally did get access, Travis, we found out that it was about 2.6 or 7 billion that went out in overpayments or wrongful payments to folks across Massachusetts and beyond that uh, is going to now need to be figured out, you know, we're going to need to figure out how, how to pay for that. And the administration has said, well, we'll do clawbacks, we'll do this, we'll do that. Look, that burden cannot fall back on the people who are investing into this program. And it's my commitment that as state auditor, I will do a deep dive into the unemployment insurance trust fund to not only make sure that we're getting access to how much is in that fund, but to also uh, expose the processes and procedures that have failed us through this shutdown that led to the ability for 2.6 to 2.7 billion dollars to be uh, misspent and wrongfully sent out in overpayments. Now, as you talk about your campaign, you talk about your plans if you're elected, certainly a number of obstacles and objectives and things that you want to accomplish. On day one, if you were elected into this office in Boston, is the unemployment trust fund going to be the biggest thing that you want to tackle first? Or is there something else that you think is you know, num day one priority for you? Day one priority. I have multiple pri multiple priorities, but I don't need to just choose one, which is great. This is going to be on that list of multiple uh, priorities that we want to work on. ARPA is a big deal. I'll just tell you, you know, that's that's one of the the, the big ones, the American Rescue Plan uh, Act funding. We know that we got a ton of money from the federal government to disperse across the state of Massachusetts. That funding that went through the state to organizations, nonprofits, infra infrastructure projects in people's communities uh, to make sure that, for example, the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund had uh, significant revenues uh, deposited into that fund to keep rates down. Those things are going to need some oversight, some significant oversight. And I did work hard in co-sponsoring an amendment during the ARPA debate that would require, uh, you know, real time as much as possible uh, checks and balances regarding how those uh, ARPA dollars are being spent, but we're gonna make sure, we're gonna need to make sure that there's more oversight happening than just that. So my commitment is to making sure to uh, follow those dollars and uh, make sure that there's accountability in the spending that's happening. Billions and billions and billions are going out. We need to make sure that we're being responsible with how they're being spent. And once we get beyond the pandemic and you look at the long term, what are some of the other biggest changes that you'd like to bring to the role of auditor? When you look at how it operates now, um, how would you like to change that fundamental role and responsibilities of that office? Look, I mean, I just want to commend the current uh, state auditor for the great work that she's done. She built a she stood on the shoulders of her predecessor and took the work of that office to the next level. And I look to stand on her shoulders and try to bring the work of that office to the next level. I think that's incumbent upon everybody that 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 follows somebody who's done great work. And we always talk about, you know, think about children and wanting them to make sure to to do better than we do, right? Um, and to take our work a little bit further in the world and to get further than, than we got. So I do look to expand upon the work of that office. And look, I want to take my 10 years of working hard in the legislature, knowing uh, what's going on in that state budget. And and working hard to shine a light on where some of the gaps exist. I'd love to do equity audits, for example, of different regions and make sure that we are uh, seeing dollars coming back to different regions, you know, that might not have the most powerful 
politician in state government residing in those communities, right? What we see a lot and what I can attest to, having been in the legislature, uh, is that the most powerful politicians amongst us are the ones that get the most funding sent to their communities. There is a huge lack of equity. And I have stood up on the floor multiple times through the years and called that out and said, you know, all of our communities need support and need uh, assistance from state government in an equitable fashion, right? But what you see is wherever the most powerful politicians go, they're able to many times control the conversation and funnel money back to their projects. We need to do things in a more equitable fashion. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to work hard to shine a light on that issue of uh, equity, regionally speaking, regional equity. We talk about equity across the board, right? And of course, we're going to work hard to promote equity across the board. But when we talk about, for example, you know, your small businesses in North Central Mass, right? I think about that regional equity as being a huge deal, making sure that we're investing in the transportation system in this region, making sure that we're investing in the public school system in this region, making sure that we're investing in economic development initiatives. So there are a lot of different programs that do exist, uh, but they are not being distributed in that equitable fashion concerning regionality, so to speak. And that's something that I will work hard uh, to address. If you were to show up at my doorstep or the doorstep of one of our listeners and tell us why we should vote for you, I'm going to put you on the clock. You'll have 60 seconds to tell me why we should get your vote for the primary coming up in September. I'm running because working families deserve access to and accountability from our state leaders and state agencies, regardless of their family background, bank balance, or zip code. Born to a 17-year-old single mom, I cleaned houses and waitressed my way through community college and earned a scholarship to Wellesley College to become the first in my family to graduate. Without the investments of others, I would not have had opportunities that I did. I know how important it is that investments made into state government through your tax dollars are taken seriously and used wisely because every wasted dollar puts another child's future opportunities at risk. There are enough barriers to access as it is. Let's make sure that our state government isn't one of them. My commitment is to work around the clock to give every family in Massachusetts access to opportunities to succeed by holding government leaders and state agencies accountable to you as your next state auditor. I ask for your support. Thank you. Time to spare. Now for listeners who are hearing about your campaign, but they want to find out more information, uh, what's the best place they can go to learn more about your campaign, what you stand for, and what your plans are if you're elected as state auditor later on this year? Well, you can do a quick internet search and find out whatever you need to know about me. It is up on the internet, my friends. So feel free to type in Diana Desoglio into your search bar and look me up and find out some of the things that I've stood for through the years. Uh, but my website is www.dianaforma.com. That's D-I-A-N-A, one N, F-O-R-M-A.com. And it'll also come up if you use the number four. We learned that lesson very early on that we needed to make sure that that was handled. So uh, dianaforma.com. And I'm going to put my cell phone number out there as well. I do like people to be able to get access. Um, text is best if you're going to hit me up on my cell phone, uh, just because if I am in podcasts like this, for example, I can take a look afterwards and make sure to get back as soon as possible. But it's 978-390-0408. And my email is Diana 
at dianadizoglio.com or info at dianaforma.com. This election, and I'm so glad that I came on today. Yes, the general election is in November, but this election is actually going to be hosted uh, or held, excuse me, September 6th, which is the day after Labor Day. It's an incredibly important election. I want to remind everybody that most of your candidates across Massachusetts this year will be running in those primaries. I will be on the Democratic primary ballot September 6th, the day after Labor Day. There will be opportunities for early voting and it's still being decided whether or not we're going to have mail-in ballots this year like we did last time around. But for sure, please mark your calendars because I know that's a very busy time of the year with folks going away with their families for a few days over Labor Day weekend and then coming back and trying to hustle to get their kids back to school. We don't want folks to miss out on the opportunity to have a voice in your next round of leaders here in state government in the Massachusetts. Now, that will be your the day for the governor's election, uh, the attorney general's election. All of those things are going to be taking place on that day. So September 6th. Mark your calendars. Thanks so much. We've been chatting with State Senator Diana DiZaglio. She's one of the Democratic candidates for state auditor. The Democratic primary is on September 6th, and the general election is coming up in November. You've been listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast election series. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.